welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. I am your other host, Liam. Ooh, that was fun. What was that? I don't know, but I have my arms way out at my side. Ooh, so I must be some sort casual of Liam. Like a, like a helicopter, I'm flying. Wait, they're like stick, like you're T-posing? Like they're sticking yeah, like straight way, out? Like way out, yeah. Why? I don't because I had to say that sentence that way, I guess. You did. So this is a bold new era for Liam, and the podcast itself is about to enter a bold new era. This is the one year finale, I guess is how I'm gonna describe it. This is the last episode before we celebrate a year of doing this show. And um in the spirit of that, we've decided to do something new and unique. And I've said that several times, but this time I think is the most I've ever meant it. Um so this is more of an episode of they didn't make another one um, for several reasons. Uh, this is a movie that is well known for having a tease to a sequel at the end that never got made. And this is a movie that feels like a sequel but isn't one. So it felt like the appropriate meta gesture to make. Is that about right, Liv? <laughs> That does feel right. It feels like a fitting conclusion to season one. I, I wasn't sure how we were going to play this. I wasn't sure if we were going to be transparent about it, that, yeah, this this kind of doesn't quite fit and it, it it's a singular movie, but we're going to do it anyway. Or if we were going to talk as if we hadn't seen the previous movies, you know, similar to yeah. uh, the Lord of the Rings maniac. Thing. <laughs> it's, it's a tough line to walk. See, I think you made the right choice. Yeah, I... I thought about that, but I feel like we would have had to like prep ourselves to do a bit for like an hour. Cause if we commit to that, I think we have to commit to it the whole time. And that's hard. That is, that's hard. And we don't do hard shit. On no, this, this is an easy podcast. And, um, speaking of things that are easy, here's something that's not, which is saying the title of this movie because it's very long. That was a bad segue. We're ending was, the year on a bad awful. segue. That was awful. Speaking speaking of this thing, here's something that isn't that. Yeah, it's an anti-segue. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Here's the title of the movie that we watched, which um is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Uh colloquially known to many as just Buckaroo Banzai. Um, this is a movie that uh, at the end famously teases the movie Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. And then that movie just never got made. Yeah. Um, even yeah. to this day, the director still talks about maybe the movie getting made. But like, I don't know, man. It's been like 36 years. <laughs> so real quick, how do you read that ending card? Do you see it as they were so confident that, yeah, like this is, we're going to see these characters again, get stoked? Or do you read it as like, because the movie plays as if there were films before it, oh, it's, it would it's, only be fitting that it ends with a joke as that, if there's going to be more. That. I, yeah? think, I think it was important that the studio was able to leave it open in case the movie did actually warrant a sequel. But I think it was mostly a bit... <laughs> That's what, that's what I think, too. And so uh, it's not so bad we didn't get another one. Because if we did get another one, then the joke is kind of lost, I think. Yeah, unless it was another one as if there had been, like, eight episodes in between. And, like, three yeah, of the like, characters were gone and two of them looked different. And, like, there were yeah, whole yeah. arcs we were missing. So they can't make the, the film that's teased at the end. It would just have to be a totally or, different Or, like, one. Clancy, funny. Clancy Brown is alive again. <laughs> yeah. Like... Uh, there's a lot that they could have done, but what they did was make The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th dimension and then nothing else. Um, this is a movie directed by W.D. Richter, who is mostly known as a writer. He co-wrote on Slither and Big Trouble in Little China. This is another movie that we're doing that has like an insane crew. So, yes. so get comfortable. It was written by Earl Mac Rouch, who also wrote New York, New York, and A Stranger is Watching. Um it was edited by George Bowers and Richard Marks. George Bowers does not have a Wikipedia page. Richard Marks edited Apocalypse Now. <laughs> um, hey. And also Broadcast News, A League of Their Own, and You've Got Mail, among a billion other movies. Um, so that's cool. Especially because like, I'll take any excuse to talk about Apocalypse Now and the editing of that movie in all fronts. is fantastic. Good job, Richard. You did it. Um, cinematography is also by two people. Um, it's by Fred J. Conan Camp, who won primetime Emmys for The Man from Uncle, uh, also shot The Towering Inferno and Patton. 
and Jordan Jordan Cronin Weth, who um for anybody who doesn't know that name, shame on you. Uh he shot Stop Making Sense and Blade Runner. <laughs> um yeah. and wow. the, the music is by um the music supervisor, I think, was a guy named I don't have that name in front of me. I think it was like Bones Hudson, which is amazing. Um, that is a good name. Yeah, no, I'm dead serious. I'm pretty sure it was Bones, which is like I don't know if his real name is Bones. Bones How. Pardon me. It's Bones How. But um well, the music I'm gonna take Bones Hudson and, and put it in a short story <laughs> or something. Yeah. That's awesome. Um uh, Michael Boddicker also did the music. He won awards for all kinds of shit. He did a lot of work on like thriller and like Michael Jackson records and also won a he won a Grammy for a song from Flashdance, I think. <laughs> like, dude got around. So, um, nice. and then the cast is insane. I'm just going to read it. We can't stop at every name, but like almost everyone is famous. So right. we don't have we gotta time. Stop, we got to stop at at least one of them. And I think we know which one. Oh, yeah. Well, Go ahead. Well, we have to stop at two of them then. But one of them is a, you'll see. So uh, Peter Weller, our good friend RoboCop, plays Dr. Buckaroo Banzai. John Lithgow is Dr. Emilio Lizardo and Lord John Worfen. Ellen Barkin is Penny Pretty and Anne Banzai. Jeff Goldblum is Dr. Sidney Zwiebel, a.k.a. New Jersey. Christopher Lloyd is John Big Boutet. Lewis Smith as Perfect Tommy. Rosalind Cash as John Emdahl. Robert Ito as Professor Hikita. Pepe Serna as Reno Nevada. Michael Santana as Billy Travers. Ronald Lacey as President Widmark. Matt Clark as Secretary of Defense McKinley. Clancy Brown, in his second movie role, is our boy Rawhide. And um, real quick, he's fucking great. I fucking love Clancy Brown in this movie. Um... You're just saying that to get him off our tail. No, I, I really do think like this feels like an appropriate conclusion to our Clancy Brown woes because this is a much less confrontational role from him uh, toward us as the audience. He's a very straight kind of everyman, and I feel like we can sort of reconcile our differences. Does that feel fair, or are we not there yet, do you think? I feel like we might be near near reconciling our differences with Clancy Brown. I think we are too. We haven't talked about him in a little bit and that's not because I don't think about him every day. It's just because I, I don't feel like I'm feeling his wrath every single day. Our no. computers are doing a bit better now. Um, I don't fear that I'm going to be electrocuted at every single step of the way. Yeah, this movie and, has and other it, people getting electrocuted. And yeah, when I first saw him on screen, I was a bit taken aback and a bit frightened. But by the end, I, I had <laughs> I had grown a bit more comfortable with him. And you know, he's Mr. Krabs. He voices Mr. Krabs. And he so, voices a lot of things. <laughs> so I was able to see him as a friend again. And hey, this is this is a guy I've grown up with, and I do like him. And though we've had our differences, we're back together now. Yeah. And so this does feel fitting. It's a good finale, a good yeah. season finale. Clancy Brown, come on the podcast challenge. That would be so fucking cool. Holy shit. Um, William Trailer is General Catbird. And then Carl Lumbly is John Parker. Liam, does that name ring a bell? Because it maybe should. It it does ring a bell. It did immediately when I saw it on screen, but I didn't look up where I know it from, oh, so well, I'm great. not sure. Uh, yeah. Dr. Sleep is where you know that name from. He's Dick Halloran in that. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's sick. I, I just that found is- that out just now. That is great. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even realize which person in the movie was Carl Lumbly, so I didn't know what familiar face I was looking for. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. And then, okay, I'm not reading all these character names because half of them are John. Then we have Vincent Chiavelli, Dan Hedaya, Mary Claire Costello, Bill Henderson, Damon Hines, Billy Vera, Laura Harrington, and to top it all off, fucking Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> so uh, is that a, is that a character name or an actor? That's a real man. He's wow. like, yeah, he's like a known comedy figure. Nice. He's a goofy man. Um, so, yeah, it, this is a fucking murderer's row of talent. And what they decided to make was a really campy, really cheesy, just sort of bizarre episode of a serialized television show where the rest of the series doesn't exist. Yeah, that's, that's that's about it. That's, yeah. that's why I pitched it to you. Was I, I, I hadn't really heard of this movie. Um, and I was reading a Stephen King blog that I really like. Um, you by would. A dude, 
by a dude named uh, Bryant Burnett. And he's been blogging about what he's been watching during the pandemic. And uh, his latest update um, at the time talked about Buckaroo Banzai. And he said that this is semi-famously designed as a movie that is a sequel to other movies you haven't seen before. And I thought that is so cool and perfect and interesting. And so we put it on the list and we've been kind of eager to get to it since just because it, it does feel like a, a cool sort of subversion inversion play on our on, on when we do here and so i think it's perfect that it's the season finale and i and i love that idea that sounds like so much fun so i was stoked to watch this yeah and i feel like we're really lucky that it just happens to be made by a bunch of like recognizable people because i feel like this yeah. would be harder to riff on if it was just like a, a lot more unknown quantity kind of thing so like to see all of this laid out is kind of wild and yeah i hope that this time next year we're able to find like a similar movie just to sort of make this a thing because i'd love to see like the different ways people try to do this because it's very yeah. particular um and i imagine a lot of it's not going to strictly be serialized and i guess what we mean by serialized for anybody who maybe doesn't know is like it's like an episode of fucking flash gordon or something it's sort of like the thing that inspired like indiana jones and that kind of vibe where um like you'd go to the theater every weekend and every weekend you'd get like a new hit of your boy Flash Gordon. And um, there's just like many chunks of adventure uh, that like strung together all have a cohesive narrative, but are like episodic as well. Um, so this is like, clearly there is a series of films that don't exist where we see sort of Buckaroo Banzai become who he is because who he is is someone who is apparently capable of doing anything. So I'm sure we would have seen plenty of that. Um, the intro to the movie points out that he has, if I'm remembering correctly, um, a Japanese mother and an American father. He's a samurai. He's also like a science genius polymath incredible man. Um, he's in a band called Buckaroo Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavaliers, which is a whole different brand of Orientalism that doesn't really fit. Um, and he, with Dr. Hikita, invented the Oscillation Overthruster. And the beginning of the movie is them trying to prove that it works by driving a rocket-powered car through a mountain into the eighth dimension where they accidentally open a gateway where a frustrated Dr. Emilio Lazardo, who used to work with Dr. Hikita in the thirties wants to let all the Lectroid aliens out and like destroy the other Lectroids and get back at Buckaroo Banzai for being how fucking cool he is. And, um, the Hong Kong Cavaliers in Buckaroo Banzai have to stop that by sunrise or else the black electroids are going to have to like destroy the planet so uh yeah between that plot summary and the character names that you listed off uh -huh. i think i think people have a pretty good idea of what this movie is yeah um, I, I didn't know all that stuff going in but now hearing it back it's like that's all you need to tell people is a couple character names and even a sentence or two of the super complex plot and, and you can decide from there if you want to watch it i think yeah i think like you kind of you know what you're in for um even though this movie surprised me in some ways you still sort of get the gist of what you're in for i guess is maybe a better way of putting it tonally it still makes some sort of weird interesting choices i think especially like the the music playing scene where they meet penny pretty is like tonally really fucking weird <laughs> um, and um oh i forgot to mention that this whole thing where uh dr lazardo is using yo-yo dine propulsion systems as a cover for the red electroids all of that was foretold by orson wells's broadcast of war of the worlds <laughs> that was real yeah. uh it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. a bit it was real and then he was hypnotized to say it was in new jersey except it was in new jersey and also there's a man named New Jersey. <laughs> so that's what we're working with. Um, yes, yeah, so we just have a gang of really cool dudes who are known for being really cool and Buckaroo Banzai's friend. And then we have Buckaroo Banzai himself, Peter Wellers, or Peter Weller, who um, can just sort of do 
anything and is like a hyper competent cool leader who can also be like a dorky science man and he puts on glasses and that's how you know he's in science mode um and there's a love interest because there's a woman who looks like his wife that died and i'm sure we would have seen that in a previous film and um they just have to stop the red electroids it plays all you gotta do. it plays like campy television there's really no other way to describe it um it sort of helps to just kind of see it for yourself it's it's sort of hard to articulate because it's just like yeah it's campy goofy not self-serious like it's not i find that it's not laughing at itself but it knows it's funny does that make sense yeah, I mean, yeah, this movie is absolutely convinced that it's funny. <laughs> the entire <laughs> way through. Um, sounds like maybe that is to varying degrees of his success. We'll get into that. Um, so you were just saying, Liam, that you did not have like a, you didn't know anything about this before we got into it. No, I really didn't. Um, the sequel, faux sequel concept was really all I had and the title to go off of. So I knew that it would be kind of sci-fi adventure-y but i did not know that the plot was so dense and i wasn't expecting something that ended up being as campy as this um so real really quickly i realized what kind of movie it was but it i i hadn't quite figured that out in my head that this is what i was going to be in for yeah i i find it kind of surprising that you didn't expect it to be like as campy as it is because i feel like the title kind of sets you up for that because the title's ridiculous. And also the lead character is named Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's true. I was, I was expecting uh, comedy and um, a lot of fun, but I wasn't... I was expecting more references to the fact that we haven't seen the other movies. Yeah. Whereas this plays it so straight and um, so you're dropped right into what's going on and it's super complicated and you're given nothing. And I think that's, that's what took me the most off guard. And then from there, all the campy elements are just stacked on top of each other. And so I was expecting the campiness to be on top of a wink to the audience. Whereas there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, uh, winking. It's just the movie is, is uh relies on you being there with it the whole time and being um attuned to the style and the tone yeah. and the sort of films that it's inspired by and it knows like you have to know like you have to be on board with this line i have the perfect line to encapsulate this it's don't be mean we don't have to be mean because remember no matter where you go there you are <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was the good bit. Uh, so if you're not on brand with that line, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> and there is a lot of just like weird, like funny one-off lines like, um, take her to the pit, go big booty, use more honey, find out what she knows. And that that's all, that's all one quote? Yeah, that's uh, all, <laughs> that's all John Lithgow. Nice. Um. There's also what he somebody's yelling. The president's yelling. Maybe somebody goes. I'm glad someone has the balls to face facts. Yeah. Um, at one point, there's a computer screen, and Lazardo is trying to get secret codes from Buckaroo Banzai, who is chained up to a bunch of electrical nodes, and also the keyboard he's typing on is from a piano. And the computer just says that won't work either. That's good. Yeah, there's there's some good visual gags in this movie for sure. Uh. It's not my goddamn planet. Understand, monkey boy. <laughs> so it kind of, it kind of sounds gory. Like this movie has already become uh, a cult classic to you. Like you sound like you're quoting it the way that I imagine fans of this movie do. Because this movie has really caught on, right? In the last few decades, uh, people. <laughs> it's one of those movies that people kind of ride or die for. Is what I've learned yeah. in my research. Well, and it's funny. I don't. It's funny because I do have these quotes in front of me and like they're funny and good. Um, and there's funny like one-off bits, but and this, this is not telling of like what I think of the quality. I don't know how eager I would be to like revisit this right away. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm saying the, the final part at the beginning, but um, like I like it. I guess I'll just get into it. Like I like the movie and I like what it's doing and I think it's fun and I think it's weird um 
And I think it looks cool. It's weird. It's the 50s. It's the 80s. It's the 50s aesthetic is weird. Um, and I like it. Um, but there was just something missing. And I don't know what it was. But there's there was this, this essential thing that I felt like would have elevated it even more that just wasn't there. Yeah, dude. Okay, I'm I'm with you. Let's get it all out on the table here. Yeah. I think that this movie is as 2013's Evil Dead is to horror movies. This movie is to like uh sci-fi adventures from the 50s. Like it is just so jam-packed with um uh wacky characters and um mile a minute action and, and like science really- jargon science jargon yeah that you're not supposed to get and like characters that you're supposed to buy into but the movie isn't really doing any work to get you to buy into it and that's part of the charm is just that they're all just like stock characters yeah yeah and so if that's your thing um i don't know like maybe uh the batman cartoon with adam west could could be a sort of comparison or just uh like old old 50s comic books i think um the cheap ones like not even just marvel or dc but like the the really cheap ones that you can find at thrift stores for like five cents where you've never really heard of the characters and you haven't read any of the other issues but you open it up and it's just like uh, it's just a right away a quick action-packed story and then you're out um if you're into stuff like that i think uh, the proof is in the pudding. You know, people really dig this movie. Lots of people love it. Um, I've got to say that it wasn't for me. I didn't really like this movie. Um, I, I had a couple chuckles and um, I can, I'm glad I saw it because I think it's a cool cinematic oddity, but it is, it's just, it's not my style. Um, I think what it was missing for me was more, um, more, explicit self-reflection Winking about what it nod, is like... that it was doing yeah because that's that's what i thought it might be that that um the movie is making it clear that there is stuff that we're missing out on and it's making it clear that it knows how uh how odd and and weird this all is um i would have liked some of that work to happen because then i think that it would be well i guess it would just be more accessible to someone like me who isn't a fan of uh, this old serialized stuff from the 50s and 60s because as it is, I just found this movie really hard to get into. Um, I couldn't really, I didn't, for the first half hour, 45 minutes, I really had no idea what was going on. Like I, I couldn't get my brain to just jump in to this crazy opening um, because it's not, it's not structured like a regular movie. E- even movies that have a big action set piece right at the beginning and you don't know who anyone is and then the movie kind of backs up and yeah, you get to it, learn it skipped people the are. setup it has yeah, no setup yeah. it's all punchline like <laughs> right and it's you know i'm not going to criticize it um because saying it needs to have that stuff because it's a very deliberate choice but I've just got to say that um, because this isn't my thing, it it didn't connect with me. I had a hard time getting invested with the characters. I didn't find um, the performances and the special effects very charming um, or or fun, which is what they kind of need to be. Like John Lithgow, he's an actor I love, but I did not like what he was doing here at all. He's I annihilating just the scenery at every I, possible moment. Yeah, and I found it just so, so annoying. Um, I I thought the special effects, which are very um, cheap and a lot of the times practical, but sometimes not practical, and they just, they look very, very, uh, how might one say, bad. Um, (laughs) But again, they're supposed to, like, kind of. Yeah, totally. Um, But it's just, because I'm not, like, tuned into it, by that point, then the bad special effects are just like they're just it's, it's bad hard, special it's, it's effects. Hard for me at that to, point. It's, yeah, it's it's hard for me to laugh at because like I get it, but like it's not it's not funny to me because I I am not laughing in the first place. It's kind of yeah. like when I when I went to see Deadpool for the first time, <laughs> okay. and, and then and then Deadpool two. It's like it's just the same sort of jokes over and over. This um, edgy like self referential material and um 
if that works for you, then the movie is super funny front to back. But then if the movie doesn't work for you and it's just not really your humor, by the time you're 45 minutes in, it's like, I understand the joke, but I'm not laughing because it's not really my thing. You know? Yeah. And like, so, so that was the case for me. If here. you don't think it's funny that there is um, a pretty boy blonde sidekick named Perfect Tommy, then like you're out. You're, you're out right away. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this movie's doing something very deliberate. And honestly, I feel like, I don't know if this makes sense, but I feel like in its lack of setup or lack of like background, it's establishing its own background in a way that I kind of respect where it's giving you so little that you just sort of get it faster. Like you get that part of it is not getting it um, because it's it's like, it's honestly like if somebody gave you season three, episode three of Game of Thrones and you missed the first 10 minutes of that, mm-hmm. like that's how out of your depth you're going to feel because there's so many characters and like so many names and so many things. And why are they in a band and why do they have a van and why do they have connections to the president and why is he a science genius and none of it matters. Yeah. Um, and then and then if you put on top of that for the Game of Thrones analogy, if you're not like a fantasy history, <laughs> yeah. like period piece person, then you're not going to be with it at all. And so that's what it was for me and yeah. for Game of Thrones, for the record. <laughs> I, I, saw, I jumped into the second last episode of Game of Thrones about Why? 15 minutes in <laughs> because my roommates were watching it. I just happened to walk into the room and uh, maybe if I had been into fantasy and history, I would have been like yo, this is sick. I need to watch the rest. I would have just been immediately... Yeah, they kind of bungled the ending to varying degrees, but whatever. I do want to say, though, I think that the movie also manages to do a wink and a nod by not winking and nodding at the same time. Like, I feel like when there is, like, a network of CB radio, like, bonsai buddies who all are, like, kids across the city or something, and one of them gets his dad to help by reporting in, and they bring a helicopter, and then that helicopter gets stolen, and the dad just yells that guy's stealing my helicopter. (laughs) Like, I feel like that, like the absurdity is the wink and the nod. Yeah. And and that's pretty funny. There's, there's definitely all the electrodes being named John from the same city in New Jersey is the wink and the nod. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think that's funny too. So it's definitely like, they're throwing so much at the screen that um, I think chances are you're, you're going to find something that makes you smile um, or makes you at least think about like uh, what's happening in front of you. It's not the kind of movie that is just like super boring and not ambitious. And so you know how you um, you can just like skip over the entire movie and and feel the same about it. It's uh there's, there's, there's so much going on really in every single scene that there's probably something in there that will pique your your uh, your mind and your mind will start thinking or laughing <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah, well, and so there's a few moments of that in here. Yeah, and visually and aesthetically, it's just com- it's very competent. So like, it's a weird style, but like it's just very like well done. I don't. It's none of it's outstanding, but it's all good. You know what I mean? Like, it's very like, yep, this is what a movie looks like that is this kind of movie. Um, I think tonally it's very weird because it switches very suddenly, very quickly, but it's all the same level of cheese. It's just like different settings. Like, you have um, the backstage part where they're like, hey guys, let's all go play a show and rock and roll and yahoo, and then everybody's hanging out. And then you have like, a woman crying at a table who's threatening to kill herself with a gun in the room while Peter Weller is singing a song directly to her and she starts to cry. And then, like, he goes to break her out of jail and they're, like, having an argument and he just shows a picture of his dead wife and they're immediately having this, like, soaring music romantic scene, which happens again later when she gets let into their, like, bunker house and then, like, somebody walks in on them and it's just, like, the way the tone switches or then you have like um the uh the like 
press conference about the oscillation overthruster that gets invaded by red electroids and a man gets kidnapped, but also they're just sort of talking and he's just saying a lot of science things that don't really mean anything. But then suddenly everyone's drawing guns and running around and everyone's got a fucking gun and everybody's just like ready to go. And they're all like just able to make a plan and execute. And they're all just like these like hero beings. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weird is a good way to describe this movie, man. It is super super duper weird i'm struggling to like describe it and i don't think it's just because like i i watched another movie after watching this but like i'm sitting here and i'm thinking about it and like i'm struggling to identify like individual scenes or sequences that i was like hell yeah that was great you know what i mean like the thing that sticks out ironically is like i remember clancy brown's death scene which shouldn't be that memorable because it's the straight man's death scene. <laughs> You'd think it'd be more memorable that at the beginning of the movie, Buckaroo Banzai is late for his rocket car appointment because he's helping cowboy Jeff Goldblum to commit laser brain surgery. Um, and then he just joins the crew and then uh, Jeff Goldblum dresses as a cowboy, but he's from New Jersey. He has a weird, cool looking boombox and like big cow pants. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, Jeff Goldblum's here now. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Goldblum shows up way later than I thought he would. Uh, well, he shows he was up early and also late. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, eh? He's right <laughs> at the beginning, and then he just shows up later. And then yeah. he's, like, running around this, like, sewery alleyway while they're trying to get um, Penny and get her back from Yo-Yo Dine and also catch, like, the bad guy. And um, he's holding the gun straight up in the air, and uh, Perfect Tommy just goes, like, cowboy. Hold the gun in front of you, man. Like, he's just, he's almost, like, disappointed. Like, just hold the gun in front of yourself. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of characters in this movie. It's, oh, God, it's real, there's a lot to talk about. Piece, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they clearly have, like, established relationships. We just really don't know what they are. Like, Perfect Tommy really wants to bring in, like, a strike team. And we don't know what that really means, but Buckaroo Banzai won't let him ever like he never gets to bring in a strike team <laughs> and we're supposed to get why that's funny but we don't and it's fine um and then i don't know one thing i feel like i want to point out just quick because i'm thinking about it i mentioned it earlier but uh so at varying points in the movie we have a group like a subgroup of the gang that are called the apache group Somebody talks about something else getting shanghaied. They themselves are all American, but they're called the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Peter Weller's character is Japanese-American and a samurai, but Hong Kong at the time would have been under the UK and is also at not Japan. So there's a lot of like weird... Similar to RoboCop 3, and it's like just robot samurai, there's a lot of like really ill-advised 80s exoticism and orientalism happening that just sort of brushes past yeah yeah absolutely there's a lot of that in this movie um there's also uh uh a rasta character that comes up later in the movie that's how they refer to him um yeah the john parker character who but who is also an alien in disguise Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so it's hard to read into that as like the conscious Rasta thing when it's just he's also an alien. <laughs> like Yeah. And then you have like the red electroids are all hidden as like bureaucrats. So you have like Christopher Lloyd and Co. who are just like trying to play it cool, but have A have dumbass names. Um like really childish, stupid names. And um are trying to get this like alien ship that crashed that's got other electroids in it but the cops are there and hunters found it and they bicker with Lizardo later who's the John Lithgow guy and I remember Christopher Lloyd flipping him off because he wouldn't let him do something and then he gets murdered um there's a lot to unpack the president is in a big like back brace that spins like a hamster wheel which is weird now that I'm saying it out loud <laughs> Um, but like in the midst of it all, there's like 
it's like a weird brand of like playful adventure machismo from these like perfect Adonis beings mixed with just like goofy feel good bullshit or like a cool chase scene on a motorcycle or something. And it like it's difficult to categorize. It's just full of weird sci-fi adventure bullshit. It's that's just the movie. Yeah. And totally. tonally it, it's as we've described it, and that's the only way you can describe it. Yeah, it's just, it's so much, man. And I think because there's less reference to um, how much is actually going on than I thought there would be and how we there aren't any other movies in this franchise, because they're not as uh, referential about that and the movie is just jam-packed, it, it feels just... Um, too full without being justified i i think that if there had been more nods to uh what is really going on more explicit nods then i would be able to accept all this craziness more but as is it sort of just feels like um the writer of the movie who i i read wrote like 30 different buckaroo bonsai stories 30 different scripts that were in contention to be a movie and you would get 30 40 pages into them and then you would start a new one and then when they finally started making this movie um the the director had all those half finished finished stories in a big binder to pick and choose from and so because that's the case the movie sort of feels like it's just it's 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 a big rush to get everything on the screen in an hour and a half and um it doesn't it doesn't have enough tying it together for me to be into it it doesn't feel enough like a, a bit to be it's honest it's very it just, creatively indulgent yeah yeah and i don't that's think enough. that's inherently bad um and i'm sure there's a lot of like smaller bits that i'm just missing cuz it's hard to remember it all especially cuz like i don't know other things have happened in my life since i've seen that and they're taking up space in my brain but um It is just like a fun, low-stakes serial, but like it's so indulgent in being that and being like an obtuse version of that because it's playing off of like established things but not establishing itself that like, you know, I'm down. I like the cool building hangout that they have, but I don't know and I don't need to know why they have it, but like it'd be cool to hear about how they got this big weird bunker that they all hang out in. Or, like, why they all have weird nicknames. Like, I I almost wish there were more just so I could feel more, like, I knew them better. And I get that the point is that I don't, but I wish that wasn't the point. Yes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think that's my biggest issue with the movie is because I've said before that I like movies where it feels like the director and the writer... Uh, really felt like they only had one chance to make a movie and so they had been thinking so they made you know um, the movie that they had been thinking about making all their lives and they put all their ideas on screen I said it before with Cabin Fever and another movie that isn't um, from first time filmmakers but I think kinda is really wacky um, and strange tonally is Clue which you and I both oh hell love. yeah brother and that movie um is is only striking me as similar because it it is a film that has a very distinct um i'd say complex premise the idea of adapting a board game into uh real life and it it does that while also having the the in-between stuff to make it feel like uh like a real story um, and it's also has... satirical to yeah a, like, yeah i get it yeah it's a and, good and analogy it, yeah and as these and then beyond that beyond just adapting it the board game characters to real life it also deals with um uh, like communism and socialism <laughs> and it's and it starts to get really tongue-in-cheek and not serious as the characters are running around like and the singing telegram <laughs> Yeah, and so it's super strange tonally, and there's a, it ends up that there's so much going on in that movie. Cabin Fever is the same way, where the last half hour or so just gets super wacky and weird. But I love both those movies because it takes the time for me to get uh, to to get my head around the premise and to get 
uh, attached to the characters in some way, and it just feels more like uh, like how I <laughs> I guess how I know and how I like stories to be told. Whereas this movie is just it is just too it's too, <laughs> too much too fast. It's too much too fast. It's just it's a hard watch, man, and it should be a lot more fun. I think I, will I wasn't say, able I didn't, to get there. I didn't find it hard, and I did have fun, but like now that it's over, I'm just like woo like okay cool man um music's really good i like the music a lot it's just good synthesizer tunes and i will say every performance i'm going to personally include john lithgow but i get what you're saying is right on board with the rest of the movie like everyone is at the same weird fluctuating tonally very matter-of-fact goofy level like the goofiness comes from how matter-of-fact it is about being insane <laughs> yes no i i'm i'm totally and with everyone you. Think... is there it's not even worth like going person by person like everyone has hit the same level which is good but it also means that you know it's a level that may or may not feel accessible to a viewer <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So if it's not working for you, it's just John Lithgow is really, um, I think he's a good litmus test for how you feel about this movie. You know, yeah, just go watch the scene any, of him of his in the like asylum where he's talking about leaving. If that doesn't do it for you or a, pr a fake phone call from the president shocking Buckaroo Banzai in a phone booth that gives him the power to write a formula on his hand that lets him see aliens that he can transfer to other people. If that doesn't do it for you, you're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. But it, it is very much in line with the rest of the movie. You know, he's not doing a, a, a Nick Cage thing no. in many movies where it's just Nick Cage is, is going absolutely wild going and the rest of the movie wild. is trying to be a regular movie. You know, it's, it's not that. No, and I think I'll probably, I could see myself watching this movie again like it's fun and i've seen worse movies that are a lot less fun i think aesthetically i like it a lot um i think maybe there's more bits to be found on a second viewing um because you're less sort of caught off guard by some of it i, I do i like the performances a lot i think the cast is off the rails um i really like the credits where everybody's just like walking and hanging out there is a cut in the credits where uh perfect tommy just changes outfits and they never explain it um just completely like he's in like a white jacket and shirtless at one point and there's a cut at one point he's in like a suit and that's just that goes completely unremarked upon but um the credits are cool everyone looks cool together it's a cool looking group of people the hong kong cavaliers um but i feel like i need a breather <laughs> before yeah, i go yeah. back to this well yeah that's that's a that's a good way to put it maybe it is time now for buckaroo bonsai too it just oh and we, I, we all needed some breathing time yeah i'd be curious to see what the fuck a sequel to this looks like now like in our current blockbuster climate like how the fuck do you even do this because like it's not like tonally this kind of blockbuster doesn't get made it does like look at thor ragnarok a movie i haven't seen but know what the tone is and like the kind of movie can get made, but are people receptive to the sheer lack of explanation, especially considering like the whole cast would have to be different and they'd probably lean into that. Like it's like when people get recast on a sitcom and no one says anything <laughs> like, Oh, you look a little different. It's like, Oh no, I just slept weird. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess you're not a completely different person, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, who knows, but um, it's like a weird oddity, and I like it for that, and I totally get why it has a cult following. I just, I'm not, I'm like, I'm like 70% sure I'm part of it, but I am not 100%. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I I I like that I saw it too. I like knowing about it because it is super odd. Um. You know. You know what my girlfriend compared this to, which I think is brilliant. We were halfway through the movie, and uh, she said, "This this reminds me of that movie that uh you took me to when we first started hanging out, and that movie was Twisted Pair by Neil." <laughs> Oh my god. 
What an and indictment of Buckaroo Bonsai to get compared to Neil fucking Breen. And um, I think it's a good comparison, man. It's I just, think it's a little unfair. <laughs> I think it's just the difference is that uh, Buckaroo is a bit more competently made and seems to... It's a lot more competently made. And seems to know its audience, but both movies just throw you in to this world without uh, yeah, but giving Neil you Breen, any backstory Neil and Breen, are super dense and weird. Neil Breen isn't doing it on purpose. Like, he is, but he's not doing it as a bit. <laughs> Neil Breen doesn't know what a bit is. This is a bit. So, like, I feel like the comparison falls apart only because Buckaroo Banzai completely knows what it's doing, and Neil Breen does not. Right, but but if you don't, uh, if you don't like the bit that buckaroo bonsai is doing then i think the result is just kind of the same as watching either I, movie i think it's still too you can laugh at twisted pair because it's just like incompetent in like amazing ways i think buckaroo bonsai is too competently made that even if you're sort of off like you can still just be in it because it feels like a movie feels hmm yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, like um, it feels like oh, this is what a movie is. I do have to say, though, if uh, presented with the two options and what to watch, I, I would pick Twisted Pear anytime. I... Eh, it'd be a toss-up. <laughs> Twisted Pear is hilarious, but, like, I also got the Twisted Pear theatrical experience, so I don't know how much... I don't know if I need more Twisted Pear. I think I got the yeah. ideal version of Twisted Pear the first time. Um, I think I'm more likely to put on Buckaroo Bonsai like casually, but Twisted mm. Pair I would definitely like get a bunch of people together and be like, check this shit out. <laughs> you want to see a train wreck in real time? Um, you came to the wrong movie because this is a train wreck in slow motion. Um, but you yeah, know I get it. I think that's just kind of Buckaroo Bonsai is a very take it or leave it movie, and we're not can. I'm mostly taking it. Um, sounds like you're mostly leaving it. So, you know, the duality of man on display. That's right. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see where we are a year from now. Yeah, um, that's why we're the perfect podcast. Every every season finale, we can do a check-in and see, hey, how do you feel about Buckaroo Bonsai at this point? Have you seen it again? What do you think about that one? I think that's fun. Let's do that. Um, All right, let's do it. And speaking of check-ins, uh, next episode is going to be some variation of an anniversary episode um various scheduling things means we don't specifically know what that means um we had a lot of plans we had a plan to do a basically just like the biannual retrospective spectacular we don't have enough time to watch the amount of movies we'd like to watch to do one of those in full so that may be part of it i also think at least me anyway, I don't know if I ever vocalized this, but I wanted to bring some guests back for like quick bits of the anniversary thing. I don't know how feasible that is. Um, we'll have to see. Um, it may also just include like a top 10 ranking and retrospective on the year. So mm -hmm. the episode's not going to look the same as usual, but there is going to be something fun happening for the anniversary and people can look forward to that. Yeah, we've we've never had a, a year anniversary special before, so whatever we do, uh that'll that'll be what a year anniversary special is. It's uh it it'll be it'll be cool. It'll be different. We won't be covering one specific movie. We'll talk a bit about all the movies we've seen, including Buckaroo Bonsai. If we do do a top ten, I would say Buckaroo Bonsai is eligible because it's it's yeah. the last oh, yeah. no, it's the last movie yeah. of the season. Anything we've watched the whole year is eligible. Um I just don't, and I'm include. The thing I'm not including, rather, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not including anything I watched for the first recap episode. Those don't yeah. count. Anything yeah, we no watched no for a standalone episode counts. That's right. And I'd encourage people who listen regularly and have heard a lot of these and maybe seen a lot of the movies to also write a top ten. Participate. Let's get some interactivity in this in this podcast. That's not something we always have, and. um 
I have, I would have to, I have to really think about this. I have no idea what my top 10 would look like right now. I have a pretty good idea of like what is realistically the top like three, but I don't know what would fill out the remaining like seven spots. Yeah. And you can, you can get a good indication of that by looking at our letterbox, right? Cause we've done kind of our top four, um, movies that we think oh, embodies yeah. the show well and yeah. so those are movies we like so they'll likely be um on both of our lists in some capacity but i am excited because um we'll really be able to take stock of how we feel about the movies individually um and we'll be able to look at them with some distance you know because we always do these podcasts shortly after seeing the movie and so yeah. we'll be able to look back and say you know how do we really has have any of these movies grown since we've seen them you know yeah. maybe honestly about- i almost wish yeah. year two of this podcast was watching every movie again in order just to see <laughs> how we feel now that would be a good idea for a podcast um, yeah. where you just do the do one year and then just Groundhog Day yourself. Yeah. And also, do it really quick, the top four on our letterbox, I'm going to argue could potentially change based on how many more things we've seen since we did the favorite films on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Right now, they are The Rage, Carrie 2, The Exorcist 3, Halloween Resurrection, and Doctor Sleep. I would argue at least two of those would be different. So we'll see. It's true. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. And Corey and I won't uh, reveal our lists no. to each other beforehand. So we'll have some fun counting down and seeing where our heads are at. It'll be cool. Yeah. And uh, so you can look forward to that next week. And then the week after, uh, we already know what we're doing. We're going to record it right after this, but you have to wait and see. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just will this into the universe. It's a good episode. Listen to it. Yeah, it'll be very good. It's uh, our season two premiere, and so we've kind of looked back to form. what we've done over the last season, and we're we're doing a return to form. It's a very, it's a very deliberate choice. You know, the first track on an album or uh, the first episode of a TV season, yeah. you really got to think about what that is. And so we thought about it, and we think if, we if we're setting the tone, we're in good hands. I think. Yeah, and um, you know, for the last time this year. Uh, thank you once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. I'll save all the all the mushy feelings for next week, but um, you can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, and on Letterboxd at T-M-A-O. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, your top 10 favorite films we've covered, or your subtitle for an unmade Buckaroo Banzai movie. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches, and here in last week's episode about Zathura. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. And uh, we will be back for our anniversary next week, and we'll catch you here for more. They made another one? <laughs>